traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly Show. I've been saying this for over a year that Michelle Obama will be the Democrat nominee in 2024. We don't have a Democrat nominee right now. Joe Biden is still seeking the nomination. Um, He may actually secure enough delegates at one point, but I think that, look, this can't go on for much longer, right? Joe Biden will not be able to withstand the normal rigors of a campaign, of a campaign. He can't, if it's a normal campaign. He wasn't the last time, but it wasn't normal, right? Uh, COVID, COVID was very beneficial to uh, Joe Biden, right? I mean, he was able to stay in that basement with a straight face, was able to not command crowds, right, and say, well, it's COVID after all. And those silly circles, remember, in the parking lots and in the grass, right, nobody came. What a weird, weird thing. Uh, and, yeah, they, they, they wonder why we have some concerns about the fairness of the 2020 election. So Joe Biden is falling down all over the place. He can't talk. It is embarrassing. It is – and it can't go on. Um I believe that's kind of apparent to everybody. Now, they will say we're crazy. Nope, Joe Biden's doing fine. You know, the media has been covering all this stuff up. They pretend that this stuff is normal. The people know it's not normal. So what could happen? What will happen? Even even a Democrat has got to acknowledge. I mean, even somebody at the White House, they are crossing their fingers. The next time he falls down, I mean, there have been four catastrophic falls that we've seen. Four. Getting on Air Force One, falling off the bike at the Air Force Academy in uh, Kyoto, Japan, where he just goes splat. Now, that's going to happen again. And a man at his age falling, um, he could get a compound fracture. How's that going to look when a bone is sticking out of his leg and his suit pants and he's bleeding all over the place? He's not going to be able to go on. And at 81, uh, and they're... I met a guy uh, who was 100, and it's going to live to be 120. It's not the number. It's Joe. It's Joe in 81. It does not fit well on him. So are they going to really go up uh, with a puppet against Donald Trump? Now, what the Democrats will tell you, even the insiders, even the good guy, the, well, insiders. I know a guy who leans left. He's not a Democrat, but he's got fantastic sources in the White House, and even they know that they got a problem with Joe. They also know they have a bigger problem with um, Kamala Harris and that uh, if if Joe can't do it, that it must go to Kamala Harris and they know they're going to lose with Kamala. And I'm like, well, why go with Kamala? And they say, because she's a black woman, you know, there will be a total and complete eruption on the left if they don't give her the nomination. And I'm like, I don't. I don't really buy that. I think everybody, no matter your gender, no matter your color, no matter anything, can see that Kamala Harris stinks and is not ready for the big job, not ready for this job, not ready for anything other than a giggling contest or uh, being a stewardess on a private jet. She could do those jobs really well, but she can't be vice president and she can't be president. Uh, But they think that if they don't, Give her the nomination if Joe steps down, 
that there will be a civil war on the left and they'll never recover. So what's the solution to that? If it has to be a person of color, and I don't see the world this way, but they do on the left, Michelle Obama would be the the likely and kind of logical substitute. Now, I've been saying this for a while, in part thanks to my friend Joel Gilbert, who made a movie about this called Michelle 2024. He also wrote a book, Michelle 2024. And he lays it out that this is the plan. And, you know, it makes a heck of a lot of sense. And, you know, when I say this to people, like I think it's going to be Michelle, invariably, you know what they say? They say, well, she doesn't want it. She doesn't want it. They don't say she's not qualified, which she's not qualified. They never say that. They just say, well, she's not going to want it. She likes being a billionaire. And she is a billionaire now. That was their plan. So let's take that. Let's, you know, a lot of billionaires, not all, but some, uh, they get bored with being billionaires. And then they want to do something else, right? I mean, people get bored. And I now that they have their billions, I mean, they're only, you know, what did Gordon Gecko say? How many... What did, what did Bud Fox say to Gordon Gecko? How many yachts can you water ski behind, Gordon? Right? It gets a little bit old. I think they want to get back in. I think she wants to get back in. And I heard somebody else say, well, you know, she's never going you know, to tolerate questions from reporters and that kind of thing. She doesn't have to. She won't have to. You know, her husband, uh, he didn't have to undergo any serious scrutiny or questioning in 2008. They just handed it to him. Remember all that stuff? He was anointed. And then they'll say, well, Michelle Obama hasn't been elected to anything. And like, well, that doesn't matter anymore. And it doesn't. I mean, Barack Obama, what two offices did he hold before he became president? You got to really think back and think hard. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was a U.S. senator. Name one thing. I, I ask this of Barack Obama fans, staunch Democrats. I say, what's one thing he did in the United States Senate? that you thought was, you know, worthy of the presidency. Just forget that. What's one thing he did? They can never name anything. You know, granted, he was only there for two years before he started running for president. So I said, okay, you're off the hook because he was only there for two years. But uh, before that, he was a state senator for eight years. So I say, okay, well, what about, what about um, you know, when he was in the state senate in Illinois? And they never know anything that he did back then. Right. This is not about accomplishment. This is not about merit. It should be. But our society is totally corrupt and upside down and weird. So it doesn't matter. It's all about what, they, what does the media like to say? Narrative and story. And Michelle Obama got paid 60 million dollars for telling her very boring story. Right. That she grew up with a mom and dad in Chicago and went to high school and went to college and went to law school. It's really not that interesting. Although, here are a couple little things you may not know. She was very, very political in high school and in college. Um, her dad was politically active. She was friends with Jesse Jackson's family. One of her best girlfriends was Jesse Jackson's daughter. That just suggests a, uh, a certain political kind of, you know, savvy and mindset that not everybody knows about. Um, let's see what else. She has a, uh, you know, first-class education. Now, that doesn't mean anything to me, but... It means a lot to the fake news. The fake news, they're always impressed by that. Most people think Penn State's a better school than Penn because of the football team. It doesn't matter where you went to college. But the fake news, they're all about status and prestige. And she went to Harvard after Princeton, kind of like uh, Barack. Where did he go again? He went to, um, he's not that bright a student, by the way. It was all affirmative action. He went to Occidental College. You ever heard of that? 
I think it's a community college somewhere in um, California or Arizona. He was there for two years, transferred to Columbia, uh, does the community organizing bit, a little bit like Michelle, community organizing, started a nonprofit. What's up with all these nonprofits? I like profit. <laughs> Start a profit, a profitable company, not a nonprofit, a nonprofitable company. They both had nonprofits, and uh, they both hit it big. I mean, Barack hit it big, but not because of anything that he did, but in large part because, well, a lot of white people felt good about voting for a person of color. That was a big part of it. It was. I'm sorry. It's just. And, uh, you know, at the time there was, look, I voted for Obama in 2008. I did. You know why I voted for him? I was a different person 15 years ago. The big reason I voted for him was when McCain chose Sarah Palin. Now, I like Sarah Palin, but, you know, one look at Sarah Palin and she was not ready to be president. And I was very much on the optics, on the superficial. And if you look at, um, you know, if you had two people come in for a job interview, Barack Obama and Sarah Palin, it like didn't really even matter what was on the paper. Right. Barack Obama, you could kind of see you could see as president. Uh, Sarah Palin, I could not see as president. I could not. So after that experience, it does not matter more than anything what you look like, what your color is, this, that, and the other thing. I can't stand it. I hate the obsession with it. It's about merit. It's about what can you do, what skill do you have. And Michelle has no skill whatsoever. I used to think that she would be a more potent uh, kind of opponent for Trump. But after I saw that picture of her on some island on her birthday and uh, Obama with the weird cryptic message. And, oh, by the way, what happened with that chef off of Martha's Vineyard? What happened with that guy? What was that all about? Why did he go swimming and how did he drown? Dwight, welcome back. How you doing, Greg? Thanks for taking my call. Um, I saw uh, Biden on uh, at the Auto Workers Union bragging about all the jobs that he created. He didn't create any jobs. He's full of it. Those are jobs that came back from COVID. This is true. So, absolutely. And um, also, the American the Amer- American people need to hear that when 5,000 people sneak in every day, that's 5,000 jobs we lose. 35,000 jobs a week, Greg, times three years. Nobody talks about it in that respect. It's terrible. Well, is that true, by the way? Is that true? 5,000 we lose? Look, it's not good for us, no no doubt about it. But is it? Is it? it where do you get that? I mean, is that just your own logic? Or, I mean, 5,000, we lose 5,000, every 5,000 that comes in. Is that, I mean, I don't know. A lot of these folks are not working, as you know. Uh, I, 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 I just don't know that to be true. Where'd you get that? Well, it just, it just occurred to me that all these people sneak in, and now they're taking jobs from Americans. And I'm in the construction business, and I'll tell you what, I've been slow in the last couple of years. It's affecting me. What kind of buildings do you work What kind of sites do you work on? What kind of projects? Um, mostly residential stuff on the Hamptons, you know, mansions for millionaires. When you go by a construction project, you ever notice, I mean, that there's not a flurry of activity? You know, it, there doesn't seem to be a lot going on at any given time. I know you guys are working. But when you go by a construction site, you don't see a lot of construction, especially on the residential side. Is that my imagination? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I understand. But a lot of it goes on inside. Once the structure is up, all the work is inside. 
the wiring, the plumbing, the tiles. It's a lot, you know, a lot going on. Right. Especially expensive homes. Yeah. How long does it take to make a big house like that these days? Depends on the builder. It could take two years sometimes, depending on where the stuff is coming from. The client might be traveling around the world, picking tile from Italy and things like that. What's your specialty? I do the old houses. I'm the woodwork. You know, I'm, I'll build you a set of stairs right in the living room, you know, curved, too. Wow. That's, that's I, live in an, I live in an 1895 house also. Man, your house was around before the Wright brothers flew their airplane. I bet your staircase is really narrow. Um, it's not that bad in this house. It actually uh, goes down five, make a right, goes down four, make a right, goes down seven to the main floor. And when you stand in the in the hallway in the foyer, you can look up and see the attic ceiling on the third floor. Wow, Pretty cool house. That's uh, interesting. <laughs> I never heard a staircase uh, described that way. Go down five, make a right. Go down six, make a right. And uh, one other thing, though, weren't people like smaller back then in the 1890s or something? Because I've been in some of those old houses in the Hamptons, and everything seems small. I mean, like almost dollhouse small. If you get back to the early 1800s into the 1700s, yes, you'll see a lot of lower doorways in those houses. Why? Were they short? I mean, really, what's going on? Was it the shortage of wood or the smaller people? I believe people were short in those days. Huh. That could be. All right. Great points, as usual. Thank you, Dwight. Oh, we were talking about billionaires. We're going to meet a pioneer of the trucking industry who totally revolutionized uh, the business and uh, has done very, very well. One of the leading truckers in the universe coming up. Greg Kelly on 77 WABC. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. This is the Greg Kelly Show. Well, they're trying to say that this is the the biggest moment of the year so far. I don't think I agree with that, but uh, Zuckerberg got up and didn't quite apologize, but was asked to apologize to families... Uh, who who had uh, children victimized by online predators, either on Facebook or on uh, Instagram. Anyway, um, they're under fire right now, big tech, and for good reason, for this and a whole lot of other things. So some of the big executives, Zuckerberg, uh, the person from Twitter, uh, let's see who else is there, the guy who runs um, TikTok, and they're getting grilled by by the Senate Judiciary Committee. And not just by uh, by both parties, which I kind of like. You got Republicans and Democrats actually working together on this stuff because it is so harmful, not only to children, but to adults and to our society in general. Right. And um, let's see here. I, I, we have to play this again because this is like the moment that everybody's talking about. This is Josh Hawley going after Zuckerberg. And uh, then and, and look at what Zuckerberg does. Go ahead. 
So you didn't take any action. You didn't take any action. You didn't fire anybody. You haven't compensated a single victim. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? Would you like to do so now? Well, they're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? And this is why we invested so much and are going to continue doing extremely efforts to, uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. You know, why, Mr. Zuckerberg, why should your company not be sued for this? Why is it that you can claim you hide behind a liability shield? You can't be held accountable. Shouldn't goes on from there. Let's get a little bit more. But that was good. I don't know if he technically apologized. He was like, you know, I'm sorry you're suffering, but I don't think he took any kind of responsibility. But it needed to be said. And I think that Zuckerberg is going to go back to wherever the hell he's from, Silicon Valley. You know where he's from, actually? Westchester County. You know, his dad is a dentist up in Westchester. Up until not long ago, you could actually call Dr. Zuckerberg and go see his dad for a dental appointment. I think that um, now he may have retired from the dentist uh, business or whatever. I mean, but how about that? He's from Westchester. I think he's from Chappaqua, actually. Look, he's a talented guy, but you give anybody billions and billions of dollars, whether they earn billions and billions of dollars, unless you really got your head on straight, you're, it's going to make you a weirdo. Uh, Zuckerberg, for a year, you know what he ate? He only ate food that he killed. It was a thing. He would only he would only eat chicken if he killed the chicken. He would only eat uh, bacon if he killed the pig. This is a like, a, like yep, and he did it himself. He learned how to slaughter animals, and he did it himself. It was like that's kind of crazy stuff, right? Um, what else did he do for a year? He got into pretty damn good shape. Remember when he was going to have the fight with Elon Musk, and he became like one of those ripped mixed martial arts guys. I give him credit for that. If you go back and watch a movie, and it's actually a pretty good movie called The Social Network, you'll see, though, why some of us are paying a price of (laughs) of Facebook. Because Zuckerberg was picked on in school, especially Harvard. He never felt like a cool kid. And sometimes I wonder, looking at that movie, is, is this his way of getting back at everybody? I don't know. Then again, nobody really uses Facebook as much. Doesn't matter. Uh, Meta is the company now, and Meta is in control and owns Instagram. And I think Instagram is more popular. It's also more dangerous and ultimately more harmful, especially, especially for women and girls. You're listening to The Greg Kelly Show. Have you ever heard of J.B. Hunt, the trucking company? Uh, they are the third largest trucking company in America. And I'm looking outside. Where would America be without trucking, right? We t- America is constantly on the move. J.B. Hunt Trucking has been around uh, for decades. It actually is a family. It started as a family business. Very humble origins in Arkansas, and we're currently on the phone with the owner. He's a great entrepreneur. His name is Brian Hunt 
from J.B. Hunt Trucking. Uh, Mr. Hunt, welcome to WABC. How are you? Greg, we're having a great day. How about you today? Everything is going well. Uh, well, <laughs> the world seems to be going down the tubes uh, in, in, yeah. in some respects. But, look, we're going to get through it, uh, I'm, I'm convinced. Tell us a little bit uh, about J.B. Hunt. Man, how many trucks do you guys have? You know, you would, I would not be the guy to ask. I apologize. Uh, you know, our family founded the company uh, originally back in the 1960s. Then whenever we went public in 1983, we took our original investors and a great group of uh, believers in us and took the company public. And uh, to this day, it's uh, still continued to thrive, doing extremely well. We had a we had a tough fourth quarter and a little bit of a hiccup last year, but you know we've got a great team of people. They do a great job, and uh, I still sit on the board. I'm, I'm 65. I haven't aged out yet. I'm going to be aging out pretty soon. But you know, it's just it's really been just a, a mission of you know young hard people working hard to uh, do things a little bit better and working together as a team. And uh, you know, a lot of the guys that are up there now, I brought into the organization. They were right out of high school or college, uh, never had a job before, which worked good for us. And you know, we just taught them our ethics and our belief. And to this day, you know, we just continue to circle the globe. I think we circle the globe about twelve or fourteen times a day now. But it's uh, you know, we've just been very blessed and a very wonderful part of the United States. Wow, you add up all the miles, you go around the world twelve or fifteen times. You know, I've got to get that fact. It's gone up substantially. We have some wonderful relationship with the railroads. And so uh, this started, this was one of my father's last projects before he retired. And what we were able to do, we were able to transfer some of our freight to the railroad. All we had to do was uh, come up with a container that had never been built. Uh, the railroad had to come up with a rail car that had never been built. And then we had to get the truckers and the railroads to get together, which was very similar to the cowboys and Indians sitting down <laughs> together. Uh, but, you know, through dedication and really what we were looking for was the fuel efficiency of it all uh, to cut down on our uh, fuel resources that are so precious and as well as the pollution. So we took our freight, we took their ability to move it, and we now uh, go east, west, north, and south from Canada down into Mexico, both with truck and rail. So it really was, you know, it, it made common sense, but at the time, nobody was doing it. Wow. Uh, yeah, real cinch, <laughs> getting all that stuff to work together. Uh, well, nobody, you guys have really unique insight when it comes to the economy, although I guess you don't have to be a trucking magnate or an economist to, you know, know that the, the fuel situation and the energy situation seems to be unstable. And, you know, the push toward electric, what do you make of that? I mean, the government here in, um, here in New York, the governor is all about, you know, you got to be on electric by uh, 2030. I mean, like right around the corner. It seems premature, and it doesn't seem to be economical to me. But how does that strike you, sir? Well, we're we're testing several different providers, and we think that they're getting closer. And we're hoping that the technology will be there so that in the very near future, we, we will all benefit from it. Right now, it's somewhat lacking, and we're, we're in the unfortunate position where we have specific demands on our equipment, and we can't adjust that. Uh, like my wife, she drives a, a, a hybrid. It's, uh, she does 20 miles on electric, and then it switches to gasoline. We've had the vehicle for eight months, and I think I put uh, fill, filled it up three times. But 
in in our industry, we have specific requirements, and it's hard for us to adapt anything other than what we've got. But what we are hoping is that the technology will be there and we'll be able to meet these mandates. We'd be the first ones to do it if it was possible. By the way, J.B. Hunt, you're a you're, you're public company, so you're sold on the stock exchange? Yeah, we're a NASDAQ stock, and we've had incredible performance. I mean, it's just a... Uh, you know the shareholder. Once once the shareholders get to know us, they love us, and uh, we have uh, we have a good track record for them because we run it. We run it for their benefit. That's that's we we recognize them as investors, and we want to take care of. Them. Wow! But this all started. I mean, I think your dad and your mom are the ones who started this with a very small. I mean, how many trucks do they have? And this all started in Arkansas. Yeah, there was a very good friend of my father's that uh, we were in another business. Our original business was uh, my dad was a truck driver. He was driving through southeast Arkansas uh, in a little town called Stuttgart, Arkansas. That's where all the rice farmers send their rice to be milled. And they were taking the whole of the rice. It's a two-piece hull, and they were taking it to a field and burning it. Well, my father grew up in a sawmill whenever, I mean, grew up in a sawmill whenever he was 12 years old. He dropped out of school to work in a sawmill, and he would take the shavings, the remaining from the timber production, and sell it to the chicken farmers. Well, my father got a sample of these rice hulls and said, you know, I think I could sell these to the chicken farmers. So he quit his job in Little Rock with his original group of investors. He went down to Stuttgart. I grew up in Stuttgart. And he uh, developed a way to package the rice hulls so that he could ship them to the poultry farmers in northwest Arkansas. And as strange as it seems, it was one of the best ideas that ever happened to agriculture. Rather than burn the rice hulls, they were shipping them to the poultry farmers who the chickens would then use as litter. And then you could take that chicken litter and put it on fields to fertilize the fields. And that was the business we were in. A dear friend of ours, Red Hudson with Hudson Foods, uh, he was working for Ross and Preen at the time, and he had a carrier that needed to, somebody to buy him. And so he talked my dad into buying seven trucks and 13 trailers, and that's how we started in the trucking business. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, and your dad, a truck driver, but he had to be, you know, and entrepreneurs are a little bit different. <laughs> There, yeah. yeah. you guys, you 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 take on risk, you take gambles, yeah. and you know the, yeah. you just march to your own drummer. I mean, I wish I was an entrepreneur. I don't know if I count. I mean, I, I I've always had a boss, and that's okay. I'm not complaining. Your dad must have been a unique individual. Well, no, Greg. Let's let, 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 listen. I think you've been somewhat successful yourself, so let's don't discount <laughs> the fact that you haven't ever owned a lemonade stand. I think you're doing okay. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. But, hey, talking about doing okay, I just looked at your stock. Uh, you you guys have doubled over the past couple of years, uh, actually five years. You have doubled. You're at 203, I think up from 100. And you know what really is kind of cool about this? It's slow and steady. Is that a fair kind of way to look at it? And I think slow and steady. Actually, my wife always wins. says this, slow and steady wins the race. Yes, and I tell you what, if you, I would really love for you to have an opportunity to meet our people. Uh, I, I, we of course have regular board meetings, and I love to look around the table. and uh, We just had our we just had a review of the 2024 business plan, and to see these young men and women that have grown up at the company and the great job that they're doing. I mean, my, uh, that was my that was my father's proudest achievement was not how much he made, but who he made it with. And that's just, we've been really blessed with good people at all of our organizations. One thing I, 
if you don't mind, I'm just curious about, we always, we always hear about the board, you know, the board of directors, and uh, it's up to the board, and what's the board going to think? And, you know, in my mind, I see a bunch of, you know, senior individuals uh, sitting around a table, and uh, they're calling the shots, and they tell the CEO uh, not exactly what to do, but if they don't like how, what the CEO is doing, you know, by a vote, they can get rid of them. Uh, yeah, I've only seen it in TV shows and movies. <laughs> but how does it work? Is that is that roughly how it works? Well, we, we, of course, our board of directors is there for more for guidance and stewardship. And they really have a diverse background. If you look at our board of directors, all very well distinguished in their industry, great communicators. Uh, they really understand the, the environment that we operate in. And they're very, very supportive. And that's one thing I've learned about being on our board is it's better to support people into success than it is to beat them into success. And so we have really been fortunate that we've attracted people with the same goals and desires of just really being, you know, not only the best trucking company or the transportation company, but the safe, the safest, a good financial investment, good quality equipment, respect for the employees, and in putting the customer needs first, first and foremost. So really our board pretty much aligns with our business philosophy. And, you know, it's not to say that we all agree on everything, but the, but the major things we do agree on, and that's take care of the people and take care of the customers. And as far as what you're moving around, I mean, it's everything from rubber duckies to uh, gasoline, I'm guessing, right? I mean, it's just anything yes. you can think of is in a J.B. Hunt truck. Yeah, it was a big turning point back in the 70s whenever we got our ICC uh, general commodities. And once we got that general commodities, we, of course, could do uh, a business with our neighbor, Walmart, who's just like 20 minutes from us, uh, Tyson Foods, who was 10 minutes from us, Hudson Foods, which was 15 minutes from us. We could, in essence, put just about anything on the back of the trailer and haul it. And then, of course, they deregulated the industry, and but we had already had a head start on it. Forgive me for asking. It's, I guess, a personal question, but um, are you a person of faith, sir? Well, I just had lunch with my old pastor, and the reason I say my old pastor is he's been retired about 15 years. So, yeah, I just had lunch with him and his wife as well. Wonderful people, Dr. Ronnie Floyd and Gina Floyd. And how has that influenced your life and your business career? Uh if you don't mind speaking about that, it's interesting. You know, people talk about <laughs> on cable news and talk radio, they talk about everything but God. And uh, I'd love to know a little bit about your relationship with God, if you don't mind. Well, I was I'm, I grew up a Southern Baptist, so I had the fear of God. I had the fear of my parents and, of course, the fear of my sister that's older than me. And once I got married, I got the fear of my wife. So <laughs> I, I, uh, if, I, I was raised in fear and I'm a believer. Let's just say that. Well, it all works, and, I mean, look at the results. By the way, you have kids? Oh, yeah. I've got uh, five wonderful kids, and then we've, uh, uh, we're have we participating in a couple of basketball programs, so we've got 15 other kids. Uh, and so, yeah, my, my wife is, my wife is a, a kid attractor. We have, we, have a, we have a large Christmas lunch. Let's just put it that way. Well, well done, sir. Well done. Are you optimistic about the economy right now? As we go forward, uh, I feel like everything is so, just so topsy-turvy. But from your perspective, how do things look? Well, we're going to have to have some wage increases. I mean, unfortunately, inflation has uh, taken a hold of us. Uh, it's a, uh, uh, I'm in the financing business as well, and we're seeing some 
people struggling uh, with uh, some car loan situations. So it's obvious that there's going to have to be the wages have got to catch up with inflation. I encourage all of their employers to, you know, take care of their people, because without your people, it's not going to be any fun. Uh, So, you know, we're all having to readjust our wages and uh, take care of the people that need to be taken care of. And I think that this summer we're going to start seeing a a stronger economy. Uh, You know, our interest rate expenses are helping us much. Uh, Our fuel costs are helping us. But I really think that over the next three years uh, we're going to we're going to not be in a desperate situation. We might we might even see some prosperity here. Prosperity. Wow. Well, Mr. Hunt, Brian Hunt, it's a pleasure and a privilege talking to you. Uh, folks, if you want more information, uh, it's JBHT on the NASDAQ, and it is doing very, very well. JB Hunt, the third largest trucking company in America, thanks to your mom and dad who got it off and running, up and running. Mm-hmm. Brian Hunt, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Appreciate this opportunity. You bet, sir. To be continued, and we'll be right back. Greg Kelly. Kelly show. I love talking to people. I really do. Uh, oh, and some of our favorites are standing by. Uh, well, Steve, Steve in Brooklyn, Steve, uh, you're marginal at this point. I don't remember. We, we need to talk more. Steve, how are you? I'm fine. I hope you are too. Um, I want to take you what you said about Michelle a step further. The punchline is I think that Barack will be her running mate as vice president, despite one obstacle. Uh, I think they've been planning this ever since he got out of office, in fact. If you remember, he went on a tear of uh, lecture circuit uh, with huge fees. That was not subject to campaign finance laws. That was personal family income. Um, And furthermore, um, he has an imperial aspiration. He doesn't want to be president. He wants to be emperor of the United States. And there's a precedent for vice president. That's a bad pun. John Quincy Adams, the second, the, the sixth president of the United States, after serving, went back to Boston and ran for House of Representatives and then served in that lower office uh, his term. All right. Hold on a second. Just a couple of things real quick. Uh, nothing wrong with making money in speeches. I mean, they right. all do it. They all do it. I mean, it's not supposed to be, you know, it's not sneaky. I mean, it's kind of distasteful, I guess. It's a little bit unseemly becoming rich after having been president because you were president. Uh, you know, it's a. Uh, uh, there's that. There's no way he's going to run for vice president under Michelle. Uh, there's that, that. I just know. And that'll be a, too much of a stretch. I mean, let's face it. It's going to be a stretch for a lot of people. It's going to be hard to take for a lot of people. You know, one Obama, two. I mean, let's pretend for a moment I like Michelle, which I don't. All right. Uh, let's just if I were advising her, I'd say the worst one of the worst running mates she could ever have would be Barack Obama. Right. That's not going to happen. And as you point out, if he wants to be an emperor, which he kind of is already, you don't need the office, right? I mean, he's calling the shots right now. He's not, he, he's a private citizen, quote unquote, right? Right, Steve? True, but I see it differently. I see that he, um, they'll be in the same bedroom. They will, he can take care of the policy. Well, we don't know about, we, 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 now you're really, this is, this is hyper conjecture. 
they're they're in the same bedroom. You know, there are not a lot of people who uh, believe that, uh, Steve. Uh, that you know, they all that that particularly Barack has his own interests. But listen, I gotta I gotta I gotta go. Thank you, Steve, very much. Uh, Adam, how you doing, sir? I got the um. You seen you didn't you don't know where those immigrants learn how to beat police up. They got it from the January 6th guys that did it to those police. <laughs> That's you've been on hold for an hour and a half. You wanted to you wanted to say that to me, right? You know they Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. Uh hey, who's the person who died on January 6th? Hmm? Who's the person who died? Oh, I'm just talking about Who's the person up? who died? Who's the Man. person who died? Ashley Babbitt, right? Ashley Babbitt. Ashley Babbitt. Um, Adam, good luck on the bus. You got to do better than that. I like I like callers who have something interesting to say. All right, that's just a cheap shot, and it's wrong. All right, Adam, you got one more chance next time, and it's got to have some thought involved. All right, some thought, and uh, good luck with that. All right, that's going to be a stretch. Carmine, hello. Hey, Greg, I had lunch with my pastor today, too, and I was showing off some of the Harry Lorraine tricks that I learned from the memory book. Good. So Netflix has a Trump and American Dream documentary from 2017. How did this go under the radar? This is Donald emerging from his father's shadow and the story behind his success. It's a fascinating look on pre-President Donald Trump, and it's fascinating, riveting. And he's a hard-working businessman. It's an amazing documentary that I never really heard you talk too much about. Well, it is. Uh, it's called. You're right. Trump, the American Dream. It's on Netflix, and there's interesting footage that you may not have seen before. But ultimately, it's negative on Trump. I mean, although it doesn't really matter because the, uh, the the footage is so interesting and, and kind of beautiful. It doesn't matter how it's how it's structured. You, you're going to learn something. So yeah, you can check it out. Again, you can tell the way it's slanted, the way the people they talk to, the authors, it's negative on Trump. But it almost doesn't matter because there's so much interesting footage in it. Thank you, Carmine. Barbara, hello. Hi, Greg. I was contacted last night by um, Independent Sentinel, the owner of that site, and advised to have a look at Breitbart's article on Indivisibles which I had never heard of before, but Independent Sentinel has been writing about it for years. Well, it seems that these indivisible groups are all across the country, and they are the major force between trying, behind trying to keep Donald Trump out of the presidency and destroying MAGA. And there was so much research done by a woman named Jessica Bowman, who apparently is excellent at this kind of research, and she released her information to Breitbart, who wrote a long article. I couldn't even read the, read the whole thing, but it makes your blood run cold because these groups, these indivisible groups, started after Hillary Clinton lost her election, and they were in shock, like many other on the left were, and they were determined that this would never happen again, and they've been working ever since. So if you go on their website, indivisibles.org, you see that they have groups all over the country. Back in 2017 already, they had over a 1,000 groups on Long Island working very hard for, for everything to take down Trump and mega. And right now, right, well, wait, let me, let me, with, they're allowed to do that. Right. I mean, right. I mean, this is this like a grassroots movement. Is it? Yes. 
I mean, they 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 patterned themselves after the Tea Party. I know they we got to like- beat them. We got to beat them. But it's like they can be grassroots, and so can we. So can we. But I'm going to check that out in Breitbart, the Bowman article. Barbara, as always, thank you. To be continued.